0: Everybody loves banter!
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. I've heard otherwise.
0: Who said otherwise?
1: Your mom. I don't know. Fucking mom. She doesn't even listen. Don't Hi mom. Ra- uh, Ryan's mom. You talk too much in the beginning. Get to it. We haven't done one of these for a while. Well, I mean,
0: we, I, we, we put one up that we did in a, a while ago. And so it seems like we haven't done... Anyway, it's confusing. We, together, right now, like, talking to each other, haven't done one in a while. But I posted one recently, so it may seem, if you're just, like, listening to us, be like, no, you did one just last time. Yeah. You gotta read the descriptions, people. All right. Nobody's gonna do that. What? Lots of care goes into the descriptions. Editing, peer review... The works. Alright. Uh, I am
1: Ryan Expect to be Ravaged McKenna. Oh my god. I, I, there are more expectations than I even knew! <laughs> yes. I'm Harland xea 12 Grant. What? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you hear the big news? No. Your buddy Elon had another baby today. And he named it like x oh really? X12 or
0: something. Wow. <laughs> All I know is he's sell he's selling his mansions.
1: And I'm buying. <laughs> that sounds like a place you're uh-huh. we're-, we're the Doddlers, and this is Dodd's Flossy Podcast. And the pressure is on! The Toddler's Philosophy is an amateur deduction of two dudes in a basement with no association, affiliation, cooperation, or combination with any other entities, primate or otherwise. The views expressed may or may not have merit, and the listeners are encouraged to argue amongst themselves. If you wish to express appreciation for the endeavors undertaken, please visit patreon.com slash to support the show. Send an email to toddlersphilosophy at gmail.com or rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For updates and downtakes, follow on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or subscribe on your favorite podcast application. talking about one of my favorite books tonight, and I tried to do it some justice, but it'll probably be a mess. But the book in question is Richard Rorty's Philosophy and the Mirror of Nature, from 1979, and it's pretty awesome, but it's 400 pages of dense-ass philosophy that we're going to try to talk about in approximately two hours verbally. Sounds like a recipe for success.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I have. I would have something interesting to say, but I don't. Continue. <clears throat> Plus bourbon. So, uh, the uh, for codification purposes, Richard Rorty was an American philosopher, typically qualified under the term pragmatism these days. Uh, he was alive nineteen thirty one two thousand seven went to school at University of Chicago and Yale, and then taught primarily at Princeton and Stanford and some other places. I liked this quote that Wikipedia attributed to Jürgen Habermas in his obituary, where, where he wrote,
2: Nothing is sacred to Rorty the Ironist,
1: which is another term that apparently Rorty invented to refer to his own philosophy.
2: Asked at the end of his life about the holy, the strict atheist answered with words reminiscent of the young Hegel, My sense of the holy is bound up with the hope that someday my remote descendants will live in a global civilization in which love is pretty much the only law. Mm, Must have been during the California days. (laughs) Must have
1: been. (laughs) Um, One of the reasons that I really like what I have read of Rorty is that he strikes me as a genuine idea guy. The sort of people that we like to talk about on the dollars. don't have obvious agendas. They like to read, write, think, and talk, and they say interesting things. So we're going to try to s- say something about what he had to say. <sighs> By we, we mean hard. <laughs> Well, you've got to come up with all... You have to be the everyman, the audience, oh, and yeah. ask questions about all this stuff, because there's going to be so much. You should have printed off these notes so I could have... Whatever. Anyway. Everybody's a critic. <laughs> Among the things we're going to talk about today in a little TLDR thing, we're going to talk about normal versus revolutionary discourse, which I think we did previously on The Doddlers True. from Kuhn. We're going to talk about some Rorty terms, systematic versus edifying philosophy. And we're going to talk about Rorty's version of a couple of terms you may have heard elsewhere, epistemology versus hermeneutics. He has a very particular notion of what those two things are. Um, he goes... Okay, well, here's the conceit for this episode to try to help us a little bit. Excellent. We are going to be extremely, perhaps irresponsibly, dichotomous. There's going to be good guys and bad guys. There's going to be a list of concepts that we want to get rid of and ones that we want to promote. And so there's going to be a black and white thing that I overlay on this. Okay. Just to assist a little bit. Because Rorty has a huge list that he wants us to transcend, abandon, etc. Not replace. And that is important, and we'll get to that later. He doesn't want to put something in in their stead, but he wants us to abandon these, move beyond them, develop some sort of conceptual scheme, though I think he's an anti-conceptual scheme too. <laughs> he's no to substitutionist. Yeah. So he wants to get rid of the mind-body problem, Theories of Reference, Correspondence, Truth, Episode Ooh. 4. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Spirit versus Nature Distinction, or as the philosophers uh, do it, the whole uh, Geisteswissenschaften versus Naturwissenschaften. you know, the the two cultures, the oh. in academia, okay, the yeah. sciences, humanities. Right, okay. Uh, subjective, Objective, Mental, Physical, Anything that's Eternal, uh, Rationality and Objectivity, Essentialism. A priori, like all this stuff's going. It's gotta oh, go! You're <laughs> out. Analytic synthetic distinction? Facts, privilege, boom, these things gotta go. What do we want instead? He wants to have a whole bunch of holism, pragmatism, edification, coping mechanisms, which is another term of art in royalty philosophy, Wittgensteinian language games, coherence, truth, conditionality, sociality, conversation. Want to promote these things? Toto ratio. So now you know everything, and we
2: don't have to go through it any further. Right?
0: All right, good. Uh, and then here's the outro song.
2: We already wrote
1: in the preface of philosophy in the mirror of nature. Yes.
2: Almost as soon as I began to study philosophy, I was impressed by the way in which philosophical problems appeared, disappeared, or changed shape as a result of new assumptions or vocabularies. A philosophical problem was a product of unconscious adoption of assumptions built into the vocabulary in which the problem was stated. Assumptions which were to be questioned before the problem itself was to be taken seriously. Getting back to these assumptions, making clear that they are optional, I believed, would be therapeutic. So that ought to remind us of episode
1: 14 or whatever it was and our buddy Wittgenstein. Mm
2: -hmm. And the
1: whole, you know, we don't want to solve philosophical problems but dissolve them. Mm. We want to do some therapy on these philosophers and say, just chill out, buddy. Like, uh-huh. we don't, you don't need to worry about that so much. Okay. So, Wittgenstein is on the good guys team <laughs> for Rorty. Along with people like Wilfred Sellers and Willard de Quine and Charles Peirce and John Dewey, Heidegger, Nietzsche, James Kuhn, Fire, Robin, etc. Okay. The bad guys is the, I don't know, is it the Enlightenment people? A Ooh, little shit. bit of Plato, or at least Platonism, what has been done with Plato subsequently, and Aristotle, he's with Korzybski, and want going to get rid of some Aristotle, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then primarily the trio of Descartes, Locke, and Kant in the sixteenth, 17th century area. Okay. It's like, they set us, set philosophy on a path and it might not be the best one so everything that you need is in the title and then we just have to spell everything out philosophy mirror nature what are those things the descartes locke kant the you see we don't have a good way to to turn that into a morpheme right the LDK, the DLK, the cold, the, you know, it doesn't make a night. Nice, you can't say it out loud yeah, quickly. Yeah. we say villains? Heroes? The villains think that philosophy is kind of this special domain whose job it is to oversee <laughs> the rest of intellectual culture. They see themselves as this adjudicator of claims made by religion, science politics, whatever, you know, that they're this overseer. And that reminds me of another previous episode, I think is all the way back to number three.
0: Yeah, yeah, episode three, even though we have an episode zero.
1: (laughs) Where we, on the dot, and this is a theme that we've talked about on a bunch of different episodes, that we have this little thing, I think we can attribute, Ryan as the first author of this, the uh, equilateral plane triangle of... (laughs) Game players, truth seekers, and overseers. And that plays in a lot, I think, to an interpretation of what Rorty is saying in here. He thinks that philosophers saw themselves primarily as overseers, and I think it would be fair to say that he wants to just collapse collapse the triangle down to a line and say there's only game players and truth seekers, and let's all be game players. Ah, okay. So he wants to remove a little bit of the inflated ego of philosophers to think that anyone has a right to be an overseer of the rest of culture. And hes you're just playing games, language games, like anybody else. Uh-oh. And clearly nobody thinks we can get at truth anymore. He is a bit of a satirist rather than an arguer in much of this. Sure. So that instead of laying out his premises and conclusion as to why you ought not believe in truth, he will just say, well, if you believed in truth, you'd be doing something like this. And nobody thinks that makes any sense. (laughs) And We'll get to the examples. All right. The villain's conception of philosophy is as overseers, and Rorty wants to undermine that. Yes. The mirror is what he refers over and over to as our glassy essence, which comes from a Shakespeare quote which I'm about to read because it's kind of cute. And it's the myth or conception that the nature of being human includes that we have a faculty, going back to the whole Kant picture again, of rationality somehow in here, and that the job of philosophy is to somehow grasp, represent, reflect reality or the world or whatever, internally so that we have this glassy essence, this mirror inside, and epistemology's job is to kind of polish the mirror and make sure that it accurately reflects what is out there. Gotcha. Shakespeare wrote, you know, one of these fucking philosophers They're Like, watch me do a dramatic reading of Shakespeare. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do it. But man, proud man dressed in a little brief authority, most ignorant of what he's most assured, his glassy essence, like an angry ape plays such fantastic tricks before high heaven as to make angels weep, who with our spleens would all laugh themselves mortal. And I like that in many
1: different ways. It ties <laughs> together all kinds of stuff. Yeah, my co-host has spleen issues before, right? That's right. <laughs> I've had a lot And we talk spleen. about apes all the time, and you know. Jesus Christ! It's just as if it was meant for us. It, it was meant for us. And then uh, the nature part is just the assumption again that he diagnoses as developing as the result of a particular language game, but it's the conception that there is such a thing as a fixed, eternal objective reality outside of us that then our job is to reflect. So those are the th- the three elements that make up this picture from Descartes Locke Kant. That Rory wants to shatter.
0: Mm. Shatter that mirror. How much does that make sense? I mean, I've got a lot of things going on in my head. Um, I think I, I understand the the you know the visual metaphor or whatever of the mirror being inside and whatever is outside then reflects, and we then have some access to if not the thing itself then to some uh internal processing of what's outside and that would be the mirror reflection and again philosophers like you said have to go around polishing it for the epistemological reasons that we need a clearer picture a clearer and clearer picture and that's that that makes sense to me i don't know if i'm am i getting it would you say yep sounds right all right so then uh the idea that he wants to break down your preferred geometric form of this—what <laughs> did you call it—a quadrilateral plane or something? You called oh, it an equilateral, equilateral triangle, flat plane yeah. or whatever. You know, blah, blah, blah. Ah, yeah. um, that uh, you know you want to collapse. You want to basically get rid of one of the points and just have a line between truth seeking and game playing. I don't know how far I'm supposed to deviate, you know, but when you say he wants to get rid of overseeing, you in the past have identified yourself more in terms of committing overseeing behaviors. So how do you feel when you get that sense from Rority when he's like, got that shit out, Harland? Are you like, don't! This is my thing. I want to oversee. Like Korjibski, perhaps, even. He seems like a bit of an overseeing kind of thing. Even the idea of we need to throw away something or abandon it seems a little bit almost overseeing-like in that there's a governing quality to it. Mm-hmm. So what's the uh,
1: what's the deal there? That's one of the reasons that I like Rority and like this book is that I'm not entirely sure where I fit in or disagree with it. Because many of the things... I also look at his villains as villains. Okay. I also want to transcend, abandon, replace, do something with almost all the concepts he wants to abandon. But he does say a couple of things that do disagree with me, I think. Or sound like they do at first. And I think some more of them are spelled out here. See when I read some of this if you think this
2: also sounds like me. I have argued that the desire for a theory of knowledge is a desire for constraint, a desire to find foundations to which one might cling, frameworks beyond which one must not stray, objects which impose themselves and representations which cannot be gainsayed. I would rather like to show us how things look when we give up the desire for confrontation and constraint and hope that the cultural space left by the demise of epistemology will not be filled, that our culture should instead become one in which the demand for constraint and confrontation is no longer felt. This is not the quote I was thinking
0: <laughs> Editing. Can Editing! Inter- can I interrupt? Yes. I guess I want to quickly do a thing with this... Uh, equilateral triangle. We're just going to use the three, although like, there's four. Uh, but the three kinds of behaviors that you were talking about: overseeing, truth seeking, and gameplay. So, and I want to use it maybe in the context of the mirror metaphor or whatever. So, to my thinking, one who's endeavoring to do truth seeking would see the reflection as, um, you know, ever, you know, getting ever close to being able to really understand and access and sink one's teeth into the truth, the view from nowhere, the, the thing, whatever it is. Even if it's just virtual and it isn't actual, it's something and it gives them some peace inside or whatever. And then potentially then overseeing is, well, I'll leave overseeing for last. Then game playing is just the attempt to kind of make adjustments here and there, to you know, reflections and mirrors, and playing around with the whole thing. Maybe to some extent, doing some kind of polishing on the mirror. But overall, in general, just making little adjustments. Um, you know, kind of saying, "Well, I think it really reflects better this way, or f- reflects better that way." Re- without care to whether or not it's reflecting something that we want to point and say is the truth. Then, overseeing would be something like I don't know. Uh, you know, like maybe more of the. Discussion around the adjustments, A, of the mirror, and B, whether or not the polishing really is doing a good job of giving us the reflection for the truth seeking uh, <laughs> members of our little holy trinity. Uh, so that's kind of one thing I just wanted to say, maybe give that some context in the.
1: Well, except that Rority wants us to abandon that entire metaphor, but you can import it into any different point on that triangle and it'll kind of make sense. Like make you could do sense, the yeah. game playing thing of I'm going to tilt the mirror this way and that or see if I can get a second one to set it up and make some kind of... It's r- for
0: the listeners to understand the the kind of behaviors those things do. You know, that's all it is. Whether or not the mirror should be there or the whole enterprise of that structure or that framing should even exist according to Rorty or anyone. Just what would a truth-seeking person or someone committing truth-seeking behavior do... What would somebody do with game-playing behavior do? How would they, you know, it's like how would they approach this system? You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of, you know, what would the motivations be and all that kind of stuff. Game-playing would be let's just have some fun screwing around, seeing what happens when we, you know, make a little tweak to this knob or whatever. Truth-seeking motivations would be, well, we're trying to get a reflection of reality so that we can harness the power of blah, 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 blah. And then overseeing would be like whether or not we're doing this correctly or not. You know, that kind of thing. Like Whether or not it's fruitful or efficacious to move the mirror this way. Or that's kind of... I was thinking that when I when I was hearing you say that, and uh, about the mirror metaphor, and then talking about overseeing and your ideas with respect to Rority, wanting to collapse it down to a line mm. between truth-seeking and
1: game-playing. Let's see if this addresses that at all. I know that at least... Descartes and Locke used analogies to, like, wax, right? That there's, like, uh, you write an epistle, and then you drip a little candle wax on it, and you have your mm-hmm. little seal, and you push it down into this malleable form, and then it hardens, and then it has an impression yeah. that in this wax. And I think that... For a time, at least, that was how people conceived of learning something or getting some knowledge. That the world is the stamp and the mirror or the mind is this wax and that you want to have these impressions made upon your mind by the world. And then you have a clear and distinct idea in the mind or whatever. Well, I I mean, you can also get some a priori, perhaps but the world can make them. You can derive them from pure reason, perhaps, or something. And that maybe the overseer-style philosopher's job would be the whole like view-from-nowhere thing of saying, okay, well, I'm standing out here on the peninsula, and I can view both. I can look at your stamp in the wax, and I can look at the world, and I can compare the two to see if you have successfully imported... The world, the knowledge, into your mind, and I think, and Rorty's saying that is an absurd thing to expect anyone to be able to do, to be able to have a, a third-person objective point of view and know the world and know your mind and then match them up, and that's what he's calling epistemology, though that's a particular definition to him. But he just calls that whole enterprise epistemology and says we can't do that. All we can do is kind of talk to each other about, like, well, you know, uh, what, what does your wax look like? Well, it's kind of pointy and round on the bottom, and it's got this. And then we can talk to each other. And he just wants to start a conversation and keep a conversation going.
0: I'm having thoughts, but I don't. <laughs> I don't want to. Let's keep keep on with Rority. Maybe I'll remember for later.
2: He writes of the... the villains. Okay. They usually think of their discipline as one which discusses perennial eternal problems. The villains see philosophy as foundational to the rest of culture because culture is just the assemblage of claims to knowledge, and philosophy adjudicates these claims. To know is to represent accurately what is outside the mind, and philosophy then came for intellectuals a substitute for religion. The picture which holds traditional philosophy captive is one of the mind as a great mirror containing various representations, some accurate, some not, capable of being studied by pure, non-empirical methods. So that's, I guess, the Rorty version of what I was just trying to say, if that helps
1: in any way. Well, pure, non-empirical methods, is that like consciousness people, or what's that all about? That's the armchair. Okay. That's that you can just sit back mm-hmm. and contemplate mm-hmm. right. and answer some of these questions. Armchair philosophy. He wants what do what do we do instead or whatever, yeah. So the Royalty version I think goes more like this. He wants to
2: instead have a notion of philosophy. Well, he writes the notion of philosophy as having foundations is mistaken. Philosophy is not a name for a discipline which confronts permanent issues, it is a cultural genre, a voice in the conversation of mankind. And philosophical progress, quote-unquote, occurs not when a new way is found to deal with an old problem, but when a new set of problems emerges and old ones fade away. And that, again, sounds very Wittgensteinian to me. And undermining
1: and... You know, like, you have all these pretensions to what you really are capable of doing philosophy. But you're just uh, another type of conversation. You could sit in this cafe and listen to the Beat Poets, or you can go over to this one and you can have a political rally, or you can go to this one and listen to a philosophical debate. But they're all just genres of human conversation, and that's the only difference that matters.
0: Okay. I mean, I get it. Uh... I'd love to see what people think of that thought at this point in history, but just because I want to troll.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that can be your homework assignment, I guess. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'll have to do a little um, survey, you know made up of that kind of Rority-type stuff, which will make people's, like, chimp come out and be like,
2: Oh, fuck it! So, all
1: right. If that, what we've just done, is the end of the intro, (laughs) (laughs) then we'll start, and part one of the three parts will be the last part. And then we'll talk about how he got there. So the first thing that I was going to read is that thing that I accidentally just did about how, oh. you know, you desire this theory of knowledge and it's a constraint. You want confrontation and constraint okay. is this old view. And this the title of the chapter is From Epistemology to Hermeneutics. And those words mean different things, I think, in the than they do to us walking in the door. And what he means by
2: epistemology is... Most philosophers claim to have gone beyond epistemology. They, they have agreed that philosophy is a discipline which takes as its study formal or structural aspects of our beliefs, and that by examining these, a philosopher serves the cultural function of keeping other disciplines honest, of limiting their claims to what can be properly grounded. Epistemologically grounded. Uh-huh. The dominating metaphor is to think that to understand how to know better is to understand how to improve the activity of a quasi-visual faculty, the mirror of nature. Thus to think of knowledge as an assemblage of accurate representations.
1: That's what he's calling the, the language game, the job, the cultural form of epistemology. They're digging around in there to study the formal structural aspects of human belief and see if this visual metaphor thing, if they're mirroring nature properly. Okay.
0: It's not, I want to break it down in my way, but I, I don't want to, like, slow us down. Can I break it down? Yeah. So when I think about the overseeing view of, of truth-seeking and game-playing, it's kind of like... Um, and you've not liked these terms before... But I'll put them out there anyway. The the idea of you know evaluating this mirror as an aggregate of things the way they actually are, whatever it is, is like external validation. It's a comparison of your model to the world. In, in science, we'll have some kind of model, and usually it's gonna just draw a straight, you know, it's gonna draw a line. And, you know, how far are the points scattered around it or whatever. The points would be, you know, reality or whatever, the data. And then in this comparison here. Mm -hmm. And then the line just represents the plot of what the model output is. But then when the overseeing person looks at a game player, they might actually use something more like internal validation to see, like, is the model put together well? You know, that kind of thing. And so it seems to me like this is all very external validation oriented toward his epistemology stuff. And you obviously have a lot more to say, so maybe that'll become clear to me what's going on. But that's just my initial trigger, is that he's essentially talking about comparing the model to the world or whatever. It seems to me. And so his this primarily so far is, with the villains, he's saying truth-seeking be gone. Like... Stop external validation or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he means in the other when he talks about his heroes yet. But I don't even know if any of that made sense. If I'm like derailing, and you know how like the track, you know the wheels come off the tracks and they start plowing through the sage and the dust and everything.
1: I think it makes sense. If I'm correct about both you and Rority, I would say that I think he would say, sure, but it's not far enough that you have to abandon even your little dots that you make your line of best fit based on or whatever. No, that's the, that's the external world.
2: So
0: that's what he's saying. Abandon is even just taking your model and comparing it to the
1: dots or whatever. Or at least the move where you say, okay, these dots mean the world, or whatever. they well, what do you mean? They're just dots. They're, they mean however you acquired them, maybe. Maybe he, well, and I don't know if where I'm importing my own self versus what we already would say, but I go to a sort of instrumentalist, operationalist route there and say, yeah, you draw this line, and it fits best between your dots and you have your mathematical formula for deriving your line of best fit based on your data, but where did the data come from? Is the data the world, or is the data the result of a certain set of experiments that you could spell out and write down your methodology? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as long as we're purely in this instrumentalist game, and there's no reality touching happening, that's probably fine.
0: Well, I was just using it as like, a, is this how he sees the villains? And this is what I was thinking he's doing, the move he's making. is, a, is similar to that he's saying, don't do that. That's what I'm asking, I guess. That's what I'm saying, I'm thinking when you're saying, when you're using these quotes. I'm like, oh, is that like some sort of like, you know, someone has a model and they want to see if it ref- like compares favorably to the information we've collected independent of the model. And then, you know, that is sort of the idea of having a mirror that we think is reflecting reality or whatever. That is the move I'm trying to, you're, you're not, you're like giving me nothing. You're just sort of like, nope. So I'm like, I'm just trying to say, it seems to me like there could be more components to it. <clears throat> and you're telling me he's not, he's saying I'm not going far enough. And I'm like, he's not going far enough. Oh, no.
1: <clears throat> Maybe I don't know what you're saying. Guys, what I'm trying to say is I think he's fine with extrapolating, or whatever the correct term is, the points into the line. Just while you're doing that behavior, don't have any pretensions to accessing reality. That
0: whole example is an analogy. It's not uh, like, when we do this Mm. work for real.
1: It's just an analogy to the kind
0: of idea of external validation that it seems to me he is trying to say, or is
1: critiquing, don't do. In the analogy, the dots are the world, and the line is the model. Or whatever mirror, Yeah, and or, then the dots are the world, yeah, yeah, or whatever it is. Then maybe the Rarity point is... There's an indefinite number of lines that you can make, given any set of dots. And none of them are epistemically, in the jargon, superior to the others. They're just different. And then you guys can talk to each other about why you made your different lines... And that's it. Because he's going to do a lot later about that he doesn't even want to go to commensuration. He doesn't even want you all to work on reaching agreement. And that's what I was going to try to get at earlier with the me versus sorority difference. He appears to be anti-agreement even. Mm. He's just like, nope, it's only conversation. And you don't have to ever agree. You just do your own thing and you can talk to each other about what you did. But there's no right answer, and there's no end to the discussion, even. There's no agreement to be found. Am I still misunderstanding the analogy? No. There's an infinite number of different lines, and they're just different.
0: I mean, that's all... I mean, I understand what you're saying there. All I'm trying to say is the move it sounds like he was making just a second ago when you were reading from the book... Sounded to me like he was saying, you know, because I keep thinking like, well, but there's this whole other thing. What is game playing up to? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's up to a different thing then. An analogy might be the internal validation of your model as to like how do things work together or something, you know, whatever. You know, you don't want to multiply pounds times, uh, you know, kilograms or whatever because they're not the same units. You want to keep, you know what I mean? Like it's that, there's that enterprise of internal validation or whatever. And then there's the actual like comparison stuff, which seems more truth-seeking oriented. Not that game-playing doesn't do that, just it seems more.
1: Okay, so given the data points and a line, the truth-seeker is interested in which of these lines is accurate, is real, is the right one.
0: It's like the physicist who goes, ah, isn't it amazing that this math just really does the job on these physical, you know, patterns or behaviors it must say something about reality. yeah, Or whatever. Math is, is the, the language of reality. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. It's the language of the universe and all that kind of stuff. So that's the, the move that I think I hear him critiquing from what I'm importing into this
1: conversation. Mm, yes, he does critique that move. Yeah. But then he also critiques... So, that, so that's the truth seeker one. The game player one is, here's my line, and here's how I got my line. End of story. Right. Mm. And then, But then the overseer... Is the person who says, "All right, I received your paper. Everybody, send me in your papers. What's all your lines and what's all your papers?" It's the professor, and then they're gonna grade those lines and say, "This line is wrong, and here's why. And this is the right answer. And your lines, your all, all the different class members can be right or wrong." Mm -hmm. And he also wants to get rid of that. So Truth Seeker has Mm -hmm. to go, and the Professor Overseer has to go, and we all just have to be game players with our different lines and our methodologies to make our lines, and that's it.
0: That's tough, because as human beings we want feedback. We want to kind of have, you know, like, it sounds to me like he's like, it's fine, just fumble Mm -hmm. in the dark, fall off a cliff, I don't give a fuck. And, you know, as a a person with desires and uh, goals and projects and whatever, you kind of want to, like, make headway, you want to, like, you know, it's just a natural tendency. I think it's almost animal, right? Just, or, or biological. You're just like, yeah, I got it. Just like, you know, plants like lean towards the sun, you know? <laughs> like, you know, they're just like, yeah, you know, and he's all like, yeah, you can go this way. You can bend that
1: way, you know. But mightn't he say that his suggestion is the best way to achieve your value even? Because both truth and professorial overseers end the conversation. Because both have a right answer, and then what are you going to say? You can whine about it and say, well I think that your right answer isn't... The, the, whatever, and then you have to go be a revolutionary, because you just, think the textbook is wrong. Or it's just games within games. But that's another thing entirely, I like politics. <laughs> but the best way to keep it going, keep talking, and, and make your progress, have your projects, have your conversations, is to remove both of those other points and everybody's just playing, right? I don't know let's keep going <laughs> yeah okay so yeah what i had just done was attempt to define what epistemology means in the Rorty, and he wants to move from that to hermeneutics
2: what the fuck is that hermeneutics sees the relation between various discourses as those of strands in a possible conversation conversation which presupposes no disciplinary matrix which unites the speakers but where the hope of agreement is never lost so long as the conversation lasts. This hope is not a hope for discovery (laughs) of an antecedently existing common ground, but simply hope for agreement itself, or at least exciting and fruitful disagreement. That's all very gameplay to me. Yeah.
0: But I don't see why you can't still have some kind of confirmatory thing where the game is to match my line better than you did to these points. And here's how the, we go about well, doing it. What does better mean? <clears throat> well, the, the rules would be, okay, well, we're going to say that it's, you know, you're only, you, you you fit tighter within these residuals of the, you know, you have these, you know, the residuals fit tighter within these points or whatever. And you didn't do that and I did and da-da-da. And I landed my triple point twist or whatever. <laughs> and you kind of like scraped with your, you know... You didn't quite do it, and they gave me a 9.8, and you a Mm 9.5. You know, that's all... That's game, to me.
1: Well, it is to the extent that you realize that the judge's output is arbitrary, and it's just what they decide. What there aren't is criteria that the judges are supposed to use, or whatever. But that's where
0: it's games within games, because then that that criteria that you use to evaluate has its own set of rules, you know? So it's like you fit within that one, and it's a sort of mushroomed or, you know, umbrellaed out over it, and then you have these rules above that. So from the game-playing perspective, it's just that. It's just rules within rules, you know what I mean? Games within games. Mm-hmm. So And so the idea is, you know, connect the dots or whatever. You know, whatever it is that one says. You know, it's like when you're out on the pond. You're like, okay, I'm going to skip this rock five times, or, you know, whatever it is like kids do when they're like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and hit that little hole in the tree with this stone and every kid's trying to throw it and they hit the stone. It's yeah, it's arbitrary in the sense that you've picked out this pattern in the world and you're like, I just wanna wouldn't it be cool if it went through the hole or
1: whatever. Mm-hmm. And
0: now everyone's like, Oh, I'll do it you know, that kind of thing. So it's sort of like just naturally evolves or whatever. It just comes out and it's fun. <laughs> I
1: don't know what else. <laughs> that situation is always subject to huck finn coming along and throwing a rock that misses the hole and declaring that he won and then the rest of Ah, you say but you didn't put it in the hole that's the rules huck and he's like yeah fuck you n-word i don't have to do that i'm gonna it just works for me like he changes the rules you know he's an abnormal discourse participant and there's nothing to which you and Huck can appeal that ultimately underlies... That there's no way to, for you to compel him to accept your rules. God, no.
0: And we're not going to really include him in the game either. That's what Haunting the Margins, I guess, is all about, is people who aren't included in the game.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you can... If right. you have the social power, or whatever, to exclude it's like a that, member... It's y- like that round table. Remember... That the
0: Dutch TV show I don't even remember What it was called It's all over YouTube And it had Dennett And it had Gould And Freeman Dyson And it had uh, Sheldrake You know Rupert Sheldrake And every once in a while Whenever Rupert Sheldrake Would play He'd throw the thing Away from the hole Yeah And they'd all be like What the fuck You know And he'd take over For a second But then they'd all Like everyone Like Dennett would engage him And be like well, Let me see if I understand You correctly Or whatever and then after a while, they're all just like, whatever. And then they'd just go, like, they'd move on, and they would play their little game together.
2: But, okay, we can start with a question. What was there before the Big Bang? Uh, a kind of platonic archetype, or God, or Steve Kuhl is thinking, it's am not, I going all the way to Wilverson just for answering his questions? <laughs> <laughs> not? It's not a question we can take up anything you say is largely expressive of a whole set of personal biases that it would take hours on the couch to unravel.
0: And it may not even be a well-formed question, which I think was Steve Mm -hmm. Pullman's Mm -hmm. point. That is, can you use the word before in that
2: context? It may be simply an inappropriate use of the word. The question whether it's well-formed or ill-formed is at the moment undecidable. But it's a very profound and important question for science, and it's my own starting point.
0: You know, I think of like the Peanuts when they all walk together and it's just like a cloud or whatever. That's what they were. And then oh, Rupert would be yeah. like, kind of walking behind him. Dragging his you know, blanket. Yeah, exactly. Sad. Yeah. And that's kind of what I what I picture in a YouTube setting that we can go and watch that you just described. Where I'm going to throw this and it's going to be like... and yeah, that's a good like, example. Fuck you. I'm not doing that. We're, just, we're, we're excited about playing this game,
1: Rupert. Mm-hmm.
0: You know? And he's not, and that's fine. If he, I think he's been relatively successful at finding people to play
1: with. Just not that group <laughs> who most of them are dead now. Well, yeah, know, but I mean, he did get invited, and he sat there, and they were all civil. and we. So he played. A little. And I think that Rorty <laughs> would be in favor of inviting people like Drake well, and maybe even more, yeah. to your roundtables. Absolutely. That's part of his point. He's like, don't have this pretension that you guys who play by a given rule set, who are playing your favorite game... It's somehow the only game, or the best game in town, to or To me, whatever. that
0: seems like it could be equally a critique of both true-seeking and game-playing, then. You know? Right? He wants an egalitarian game, or something, where everyone gets to play, and maybe no medals get put out, but... great <laughs> right, because no one wins. Everyone loses.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's another dawdler's trope, right? <laughs> a game was played, everyone lost. <laughs> Yeah. For sure.
2: Because, and I think this talks to this crowd of Gould and his buddies. Epistemology sees the hope of agreement as a token of the existence of common ground, which perhaps unbeknownst to the speakers, unites them in a common rationality. For epistemology to be rational is to find the proper set of terms into which all contributions should be translated if agreement is to become possible. Conversation is inquiry. Mm. Epistemology views the participants as united in a group of mutual interests. And again, a lot of that does sound
1: like things that I've said before. I mean, like that's a lot of that sounds good to me. Yeah. But, He already doesn't so much like that. Well, but he still said
0: the buzzword, because I think that's what we called those overseeing, truth-seeking, game-playing, engineering
1: (laughs) modes of inquiry, we call Mm -hmm. them. Right, yeah. He wants us to instead just to view culture itself as a conversation rather than as some structure. He thinks the line between discourses cannot be rendered commensurable. And those which cannot is how you designate between normal and abnormal discourse. And that's where the whole Kuhnian thing comes in or whatever, right? So, Drake in your example, or Finn in the rock Throne example, yeah. are the people who are attempting to do what Kuhn would call abnormal discourse. When you're doing normal science, you have accepted, is it a methodological rule set? And you're like, I'm playing this game... Look what I discovered when I followed a certain strategy within the rules of the game. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, the, that was the, like one of the examples that Kuhn used was the x-rays. Sky, oh, geez, you have like a full beer. I just downed this one. Shit. I'm going to be all depressed by the end of it because it'll have worn off. But anyway, yes, uh, Kuhn was definitely about the idea that people are using their instruments. And there are these certain rules. And sometimes someone would be like, ah, something happened. And they'd be like, oh, you must have done something wrong. Right? Because there's this agreement that this is how this all works. Anyway. Yes, Mm -hmm. I like this tie-in.
2: Yeah, Rory says, normal science is as close as real life comes to the epistemologist's notion of what it is to be rational. Everybody agrees on how to evaluate everything everybody else says. Normal discourse is conducted within an agreed-upon set of conventions about what counts as relevant and what counts as having a good argument. So, part, I guess, of what I'm what, like my crusades in
1: philosophy are is in setting up a situation like that for what we might call normative, argumentative discourse or something. I want there to be a rule set that we play by. Yes, it is just another game, but then we can meta-argue for our rules being preferable for some reason or other. Blah blah blah. sigh
0: well do we I don't know I'm I'm hoping that this stays in the game here that we're playing right now with Rorty but do we when we go from normal science to revolutionary science are we resistant to the revolutionary science because A it means all our efforts towards seeking the truth were wrong or just you know is that why people is that the motivation, or B, because the game is over. The game's up. we got to play this other game and learn these other rules. And we were just getting, You know what I mean? It's like every time I interrupt my son, when he's playing video games, he gets all pissed off, you know, because he's like, I was just about to shoot that guy in the face. (laughs) So, like,
1: anyway, that's a whole other thing. I'm sorry. Sort of. There are different ways to end the game. Yeah? Is that what you're... What? One does not want the game to ever end. And one always no. wants to feel like they're on the the path of
2: truth.
0: You know? The,
1: you think even the truth seeker doesn't want the game to end? I mean, then not you not just the become seeker. a zealot or whatever. No, you no, you no just that's become, the truth. they just want to... You wanna, find and then you worship the they sacred wanna, truth. and
0: They want to reach the truth. To use a Star Trek analogy, you know, whatever that movie was. Was it episode 5 where they think they've met God or whatever? The idea that, like, oh, we've, we've, we've reached the end, you know, finally, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least you're on that course to find out that you might not be on that course at all, and that you were just going after fool's gold, you know, pyrite or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's, a, it's that kind of, like, the disappointment that is so involved in the end of normal science and the beginning of real revolutionary science and the resistance, I'm thinking, would have to do with... That and that everyone's busy playing the game or seeking the truth,
1: yeah isn't is the revolutionary scientist the one who comes along and is like just goes up to the Nintendo and jerks the cartridge out and says "No more Mario we're playing duck hunt now and just puts another one in no. and they 're like, but I was playing that game, I was good at that game I suck at duck hunt i don 't want to do that I think of it more like the um
0: Revolutionary scientist is the one who finds the problem with the game. There are all these things in like Fortnite or whatever, they're hacks or even whatever, uh, you know, Zelda or whatever it is. But these things become illegal moves by the administrators and if you're able to access those hacks in the video game, in the battle royale, that gives you an unfair advantage. Or it changes things slightly which they don't they wanna be able to have the Battle Royale go as they said it should go, you know, and so people get automatically booted out when they either accidentally or on purpose use these various hacks, which I cannot, of course, rip off the top of my head right now, but there are these ways. And I think of a revolutionary science is kind of like that. All of a sudden, there's this like tear in the fabric of your game and you're like, fuck, no, you know, like it's like a hole in the boat. And you're like, patch it, patch it. You know, you spend all this effort trying to patch that goddamn hole. And, you know, really, it's it's uh, the jig is up and either they have to find a better way, you know, or or or, you know, everyone has to ignore it and just keep playing as if there wasn't that thing. That's kind of how I was thinking of it. Not someone comes in and rips the thing out. No.
1: Is the problem with that analogy though that the objective remained the same. You're still trying to kill everyone else and be the re- the only person left alive in the battle. Yeah. It's just that you use an unsanctioned method to achieve that. Yeah. So like But isn't but with revolutionary science, I th- feel like it's more like you you have new objectives, everything like that. But we never know who the
0: revolutionary scientist is, right? Yeah. So Rupert Sheldrake, maybe he's the revolutionary scientist, maybe he's not. But he's like, I can explain all this behavior with my crazy thing over mm-hmm. here. And you're like, no, you know, like, how is it that a mice acquire some particular behavior set? Well, he's saying there's some sort of telekinetic or whatever. And someone else is saying, oh, it's this, you know,
1: natural selection. or Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? So everyone's um, playing the natural selection game, and he's like, no, 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 it goes across the waves, or airwaves, or whatever. Yeah.
1: I didn't save the quote, but Rorty mentions that, and I think Kuhn also does right? something about how uh, it can only be seen through the lens of history, looking back, but the people that fail at revolutionary science are kooks, or whatever, yeah. and people that succeed are world historical figures that yeah, changed exactly. everything, and are geniuses. Right. Exactly. And whether you're a kook or a genius, if you're trying to do revolutionary shit, you will never know until after you're dead. This could be the framework of our
0: that I've been looking for for the Haunting the Margins. Yeah? Yeah, we
1: should totally go <laughs> to this. Anyway, sorry. There's an alternative goal value set again. I'm like, oh, I need to figure out how to do the podcast. Well, you know, it's like you always want a
0: gimmick, or not a gimmick, but just some kind of fulcrum to leverage. Anyway, uh, this is like getting meta.
1: Or we like pragma. getting meta, don't we?
0: Pragma. More, it's more like Pragma because it's about like things that we actually do or whatever, right? Anyway, like the podcast. Mm-hmm. Talking about, it's like shop talk on the podcast about the podcast. It's Pragma.
2: <laughs> about this, Rorty wrote, uh, We are the heirs of 300 years of rhetoric about the importance of distinguishing sharply between science and religion, politics, art, philosophy, and so on. It made us what we are today! But that doesn't mean we have to proclaim our loyalty to these distinctions. It's not to say that there are objective and rational standards for adopting them. We would do well to abandon the notion of certain values, for example rationality, as floating free of educational and institutional patterns of the day. So that's one of the ways that he's just kind of insulting the distinctions
1: and traditions of normal science, normal discourse. He's like, well, it's at least what you're used to. (laughs) But does that mean that it's great? And then he kind of just does a little dot, dot, dot after that. Like, I don't think he so much as argues against that other than to say, give me something more than that's what we've said for a long time and that's what I was taught. Because that's clearly not an argument. And the burden's on you, so until you give me more than what's well, what I'm used to, then I'm not going to do it. I would say that's that's huge. I mean that's like a big part of everything for
0: all a lot of these endeavors, because you're just getting it's like a it's an ontogeny, you know it's a development you're you're born. Into some new thing that you're looking into. You're, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're at a, you know, in an AP class in high school or whatever the fuck it is, and then you go to college and you get your bachelor's and you're moving along. You found your your major, and now you're getting your master's, your PhD or whatever it is, and you, you know, like you're moving through these steps, and it's like, well, I just I like this, <laughs> like whether yeah. you know, and I'm getting more and more familiar. I'm, ma- I'm becoming more. I'm Increasing my mastery of this game, I enjoy that. It's the um, it's the whole idea that you know there's again games within games or objectives within objectives. You're breaking two rocks against each other to get a sharp edge, but you're breaking them to get a better and better types of type of sharp edge for all kinds of reasons. Well, this one doesn't cut your fingers as much, you know, or wh- whatever it is. You're you're improving it, and you get some kind of satisfaction there's salience in the action of doing the thing that is satisfying for you you know and and uh yeah that's a hard one to break that he's now seeming to call into question that's his ellipses at the end or whatever where he's just like eh. and it's like you know i mean there's a big you know that's what it almost seems to be what it is to be human is to be patterned in this way around the games within games because yeah 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 I wanna have a sharp edge and I wanna cut the meat and you know, cook it or eat it or whatever it is I'm gonna do with it, but there's an additional thing with my belly's full that I wanna have fun with or whatever. And there's no leopards wanting to bite my head off right now, so this is good, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the fact that he's like calling that into question makes me think, well what is someone supposed to do now? You know? Just wait for the
1: leopard to come and bite off your head or We're passing the time here, Rorty. I mean, yes, that, does sound, that is a human thing. As Nietzsche would say, all too human. <laughs> and this part reminds me of Nietzsche in that it sounds like what he called the breaking of the tables or the revaluation of all the values. When you're chipping your stone axe, yes, there are ones that are preferable to others, but only based on some system of what you want it to do. And then when you bring in new values, like, well, yeah, I want it to efficiently remove pelts from meat so that I can efficiently extract the tasty bits. What about the, what about this one? I've now done, I've achieved that same thing, but you also don't cut your hand on it. Like you meant, you know, oh, now, so that's a new value, but it's better. There's, and wh- there's variation.
0: You've got Rority and... Nietzsche on one side, and then you got those people who are literally like living like hunter-gatherers by choice in like Washington State on the other, right? Where they do nothing with technology other than what they can procure from nature or whatever. There's always that variation. Drives me crazy. Because on the one hand, they're saying, hey, what you're doing is not enough. You should abandon X, Y, and Z or whatever. And these other people are like, yeah, you should, but come in my direction. Where we ride horses bareback and, like, make fucking jackets out of the elk pelts and shit, you know? Like, that's what I'm seeing is I'm there's con- a ton of yeah. variation. Yeah, you're not confused. You're I'm totally confused. with no No. Um, there's always somebody who's, like, always ready. There's somebody who's lagging behind, and there's Nietzsche's and Rorty's who are ready to move on. And the rest of us are like all in here just feel like I'm trying to play the game. Or, but as I you know, understand,
1: I don't know if I'm misunderstanding you or if you're misunderstanding Rorty. Or of course, I mean, there's other choices. <laughs> but we're <What>? dichotomous <laughs> tonight. Um, they don't want you to stop living and making your axes and doing whatever you're doing. They just don't like it when those of you in the tribe who do that add on top of it and this is that how thou shalt make an axe forevermore. This is how God made it, and this is the right way, and thou shalt always make them this way. They just want to take away the, that big list of things from before. The, that it's true, that it's eternal, that it's rational, that it's essential. Just, as long as you're not making any of those claims, but you're just making an axe, then I don't think they have a problem.
0: Oh, good. All right. Well, they, I was saying that, that we're just making an axe... But that in our human way, we get, we get some kind of enjoyment or we get some kind of stimulation from the process in and of itself. And that's why it's these games within games, right? It's this um, trying to make a, you know, uh, doing something different with the, uh, you know, uh, uh, sharp edge making. And yes, ultimately you're going to use it to cut meat or whatever. But there's this little game within that. Which is to do better next time, or to make it this way, or like la- tonight, my son, seven years old, he'll be turning eight soon. He cooked dinner, and uh, you know, as soon as he sits down and he starts to eat, he starts to complain. Oh, we should have done this, and should have done that. You know, like it's always these little bits and pieces that we want to do. You know, uh, you know, should I add salt at this time, or you know, like, mm-hmm. and that to me seems very human. That's not something that I think other organisms necessarily have acquired. Probably not. To the same extent that we have. And if Rorty and Nietzsche are like, no, abandon that. You know, it's all too human. Then it's like, wait, 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 wait.
1: You know, like, okay, well, I don't, But The part about whether you enjoy doing it seems extraneous to this issue. Okay, to me. well
0: then I guess that's fine. But then I misunderstood you. Okay. <laughs>
1: all too human. I mean, you and can I go, just go like, if enjoy there, it, but that's... that. I just go to, like, evolutionary psychology or something then. I'm like, well, yeah, you en- enjoy perfecting, improving projects, and the and creating technologies, well, that sounds like a beneficial adaptation to have. So let's make more of the monkeys who like making things. Sure. But I we're not supposed to like evolutionary psychology anymore, right? That's on the outs? Well, I don't think that's necessarily
0: a psychological thing as much as a... I don't even know what that is. Just behavior? I don't fucking know. I mean, I, I don't think evolutionary psychology is on the outs. It's just kind of trying to figure out where it's on the ins.
1: That sounded <laughs> kind of like a joke I didn't get. It's trying to
0: figure out where it's on the ins? I don't know. It's it's one of those things that, in a way, didn't meet the standards of someone like Gould or whatever it was. And because he was on the end with all these other people, it's sort of haunting the margins in its own right. But it's still... Got enough people who buy into it that it's not quite living on the edge or anything like that.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, good, because I kind of like it. All right. Hermeneutics is not another way of knowing slash understanding as opposed to explaining. It is better seen as merely another way of coping. And, again, that
1: kind of becomes a term of art or whatever. I love coping. And that's what the whole axe making is about, right? It's just oh. coping. I have projects. I have some materials here. I can modify my materials to better accomplish my projects. It's just about how to cope. I like right. it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Coping range are th- th- great.
1: And I think part of this happened in previous discussions betwixt you and I about topics similar to this you seem to push back against the Rority side of the spectrum in favor of what you perceive to be an alternative side. But it's not an alternative, because you just are so entrenched in the game-playing thing that oh. you either don't know or forget that there really are people as dumb as the people that Rority needs to argue against. And you're like, oh yeah, I didn't even know I needed to argue against that.
0: <laughs> well, I don't... I mean, it's... Uh, well, Jesus Christ...
2: I'm just so smart. The difficulty, Rorty writes, stems from a notion shared by Platonists, Kantians, and positivists that man has an essence. Namely, to discover essences. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that you're just saying I never even
1: knew that people thought that. Like, what? No. (laughs) Nobody thinks that. But lots of people throughout history have thought that. And they need a takedown. And you're just, like, in your little sciencey game-playing realm. You're yeah. like, yeah, what? No. What has that got to
2: do with it? Back off, man. I'm a scientist.
0: No, just having a good time over there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do have a uh, problem with people who seem to be very confident... ...and to think that their confidence springs from some actual touching of, you know, reality or whatever. That's frustrating, because then it's like, well... How do you explain all these people who do all these different things? you know well, you're supposed to be partial differential equations. That's the only thing you should use, and it's like, uh, okay, well, there's all these other people who are being very fruitful in their approach using i don't know whatever power laws or some kind of you know uh lab equipment uh, and this is just in the realm of science, you know, let alone when we talk about beat poetry or whatever or any kind of poetry
1: mm-hmm. or what. Yeah, I don't know. But there... So that is... And it sounds right to me that there is a tradition of people who do basically think that our job, the essence of man, is to discover essence of other (laughs) things. You know, but those who are anti-essentialist in the first place don't have to worry about it and then that's great. Because that's what we wanted in the first place.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say that one wants understanding... Which is just like, you know, making improvements on your hand axe or whatever the fuck it is. You're just making improvements on what you think you could do differently next time that you'd be satisfied with. Or more satisfied with.
1: Mm -hmm. Anyway. So where... I think this... where he goes, or a parallel path or something, to the normal abnormal, to the epistemology v. hermeneutics thing, is what he calls... Edifying philosophy versus systematic philosophy. And so the systematic is on the side of the epistemology and the Descartes Locke Kant tradition and the whatever, and the normal science that we have an agreed upon set of rules, typically rationally derived, armchair discovered, you know, <laughs> that our job is to just work within but that he wants us to move out of that systematic stuff into what he calls edification,
2: which is what? I shall use edification to stand for the project of finding new, better, more interesting, more fruitful ways of speaking. A poetic activity of thinking up new aims, new words, new disciplines. Followed by, so to speak, the attempt to reinterpret our familiar surroundings in the unfamiliar terms of our new inventions. It is supposed to be abnormal to take us out of our old selves by the power of strangeness (laughs) to aid us in becoming new beings. So that's this edifice that
1: this is building, and he wants to promote more construction. Well... Now, shall I even say construction? Because that sounds systematic, almost. But that he wants to, you know, engage in this poetic... Yeah, maybe sculpt rather than construct. That might be better. Yeah. The other people he's saying is in this Platonic Aristotelian view that the only way to be edified is to know what is out there, to reflect the facts. But that this is... Oh, and he loops in another person to the good team. That, you, that you'll be happy to see join the party. Oh. Jean-Paul Sartre! Oh. And the existentialist attitude of saying, the attempt to gain objective knowledge of the world is an attempt to avoid the responsibility for choosing your own projects! Which I really like. Because <laughs> I think that's most of what people are doing most of the time, is avoiding responsibility. Yes. And if you think that the name of the game is, well, there's an objective world out there, Parentheses, constructed by God. Little g, whatever. It can be Sean Carroll's God. I don't care. But you (laughs) think there's an objective world out there and that your essence, your being, your job, your project is to bring that into the mirror of your mind, which almost all people, I think, think, including scientists, then you're playing the wrong game. You're doing the wrong thing. You're avoiding responsibility and you're not being very poetic.
2: Systematic philosophy is like the search for universal commensuration in one final vocabulary. He doesn't want to do that. You going to say something? (laughs) Nope. I'm making
0: sweet, sweet, delicious cuddles with Knox. Delicious. Knox, you interrupted Rority.
2: The point of edifying philosophy, though, is just to keep the conversation going rather than to find objective truth. Does he really say that, that? sound good yeah. That's a oh, that's totally yeah.
1: game playing, right? Yeah. That's why I'm saying he's collapsing all the everything yeah. into just game playing. Yes. Cause we that's the goal is just to keep conversation going. Just keep keep working. And that's what, in a sense, we're gonna do anyway. Right? <laughs> well yeah unless I mean, we somehow bring about Well, as you
0: and I would imagine, as enemy skeptics, we'll have to like accept that that's all we really
1: can do. Yeah. Well, it's either that or stop conversing. And that doesn't sound very good. Well, we're in a quarantine. (laughs) And we ain't stopping.
0: Oh, delicious looks. I saw something, a tweet where someone was like, I miss people. I was like, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, naughty. I would miss doggies, though, wouldn't I? So this all very much reminds me of that... that um, philosopher or scholar of religion... And he had a similar kind of thing where he's like Finite and Infinite Games book. The idea that there is, you know, really it's the infinite game that we all want. We don't want finite games because finite games mean there's all this hard structure. And, you know, we win, we find the truth and all that kind of stuff. And it validates our
1: existence and responsibility
0: and all that crap. And really, the whole point is to just keep playing, you know.
1: Yeah, the Rority sounds like he would be totally with Karst, right? Yes, David P. Cars, James,
0: James, <laughs> James
1: Cars. Jesus Christ! <laughs> and that he's promoting making the game infinite. Yeah. And that if you're going to be a normal discourse member, you're playing a finite, potentially finite game. Yeah. Maybe they're not all, but uh, revolutionary
0: but the, science continues the game.
1: Right, that makes it infinite for sure. Yeah. I'm just saying maybe there are infinite normal games too But we know for sure if you play a revolutionary or allow the revolutionaries in your game, right. that's infinite definitely Yes oh, delicious. So why should we do this? How what's the argument or what's the thing if you want us to move from? normal to abnormal systematic to edifying What's the problem right? And you're like, oh wait, it's not over <laughs> No, I I, thought mean, we were I was thinking done. like, well,
0: shit, <laughs> what kind of answer is the right answer for someone like Rorty, right? He doesn't necessarily require Harlandonian arguments, though, right? He does not require arguments, does he? No. In fact, so I might not even like, like them. I could say like, Ugh, you know, like, without art there is no life, or whatever, something like that, like, to continue to live.
1: Yeah, without arguments,
2: Ooh. Why bother? Yes,
1: delicious. <laughs> sorry They're sorry I' gonna folks. be like, what does he keep calling t- delicious? <laughs> it's
0: Knox. He's so cute. He's totally making the cover of this one. And Knox is a dog. He's but he's anyway. a doggy. Anyway,
2: The <laughs> aim of this book, <laughs> we arrive at 1 hour 15 minutes in, okay? is to undermine the reader's confidence in the mind as something that one should have a philosophical view about in knowledge about something of which there ought to be a theory that has foundations and in philosophy as it has been conceived in the LDK tradition or the D whatever
0: sure the and
2: so that if he can
1: accomplish those things that that's what's going to be the motivation to become abnormal so he's got to get rid of the, the mind, which we've done in multiple episodes. Oh! And, Be gone! And in the pretensions of epistemology and this traditional philosophy thing.
0: Rorty is not an ironic kind of fellow, though.
1: No, he's ironic kind of fellow. Oh, God! Ironism!
0: Oh, that's her title. An ironic kind of fellow or whatever, right? <laughs> yes, it is. There's lots of... Possible. No, there's Thomas. one. There's just one island.
1: Only one truth. Have you learned nothing? <laughs> it's very distracting around here, folks.
0: <laughs> it is, but it's a sausage. It's like you know, there's a little. He's got this tail, which is like a sausage, and then he's a sausage. It's like games within games. Sausages within sausages.
1: The things people <laughs> care about. I'm like, nobody cares about that. And then Ryan's like, yeah, nobody cares about fucking what Rorty had to say either. Yeah,
0: no, that's true. But then that means it kind of proves his point. (laughs) Go to bed, Liam. We're so off the rails.